You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. Welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. Today, I am delighted to bring you one of my best friends and colleagues, Dr. Amber Belt. Dr. Belt is a naturopathic physician who's been practicing in Flagstaff, Arizona for nearly 17 years. She specializes in regenerative injection therapies, but also in chronic infectious diseases. She is a badass all-around lady. She loves strength training. She plays roller derby, and she's the founder of Sage Serona. This is a naturopathic first aid company that she's just launched. And we are going to dive in today and talk about her experience, boots on the ground, treating COVID patients. Naturopathic doctors have known for a long time how to address patients who are presenting with viral infections. That's not to say that we had prevention, treatment, and cure figured out for COVID, but we do know how to treat a patient whose body is being ravaged by a virus. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her experience with the different variants. We're going to talk about her experience and of her patients with the vaccine rollout and where we are today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm really happy to be here today and thank you for having me. Um, Yes, I am a naturopathic physician too, and I've been in practice almost 17 years, which it doesn't seem like 17 years, but I guess it is. (laughs) That's crazy, Amber. I know. So the bulk of my career, I've spent treating chronic illness and um, what we what we now call long haulers, um, but what other professions have not called that until COVID, of course. Um, So my plan pre-COVID was to kind of step back from (laughs) treating chronic illness and really switch my focus over to regenerative injections. Um, However, then COVID happened and, you know, that's definitely not the direction I could take my practice. Um, You know, you, you have a practice in a smaller town and you have people depending on you to to keep them healthy and it's been it's been my focus during the pandemic to you know I'm really I'm pretty passionate about it I don't want my patients to die from this and I can't sit back and just let that happen I can't send my patients home tell them to watch their oxygen and wait to die or go to the hospital it's just I can't do that (laughs) Yeah, so you are in Flagstaff, so you are in mm-hmm. a small town, yeah. and I I remember all of this. We we uh, you coached with me, and we we were going to help you transition through that, and then COVID did hit, and you were one of the first doctors that I was speaking to who was treating it on the ground. You were yeah. literally, and I and I had hundreds of doctors overall throughout all my coaching programs at that time, and a good dozen of you that were in the close circle in the mastermind. And you were the first person to tell me that COVID walked in your office and how you were treating it. And so can you talk, what I want to cover today is not only the misinformation we have been flooded with, (laughs) but you you treated early COVID you treated COVID once it mutated. You treated COVID once the vaccines came on the scene. You've treated a lot of vaccine-derived issues. Mm-hmm. And you've seen a lot. I really want to talk about that. And you now are treating the new Omicron variant, which is showing itself to be a pretty mild kitten from mm-hmm. what I understand. But mm-hmm. I want your, of course, your take, you're the one seeing patients. I have helped a handful of patients through this, nowhere near what you have done. And your what you've shared with me has lined up completely with what I've seen. And also all of the other doctor colleagues I've talked to around the world, for that matter, I've made friends through this whole process um, online for th- th- throughout the world. People who are doctors who are administering early treatment, treating their patients in office. In Canada, they can't, right? Like if you have COVID, you're not your doctor is not allowed to take you. You're only allowed to go to the hospital and none of these, <laughs> it's crazy what's going on. We can talk about that a little bit too. But that's what I want to get into is like, what has this sequelae looked like? What, what, how did it initially present? And then how has it changed? And where are we at now? I'm hoping to cover that all in a quick 45 minutes. All right, we, we got this. No, <laughs> no problem. Um, gosh, you know, I, I did see some early COVID. Um, and I mean, honestly, yes, treatment has evolved, but the basics are still there early on. Um, Early on, we didn't know a whole lot, but there were there was evidence that I was seeing and data I was seeing about COVID specifically, but also, 
you know, things we could extrapolate from other viruses like influenza that were low risk for patients, but had the potential for high reward or God, even moderate reward, who cares? Like we didn't have any conventional therapeutics at that time. So, um, so I was using those therapeutics to kind of get my patients through it um, and wasn't really seeing uh, the horror <laughs> that the media was putting out there. I mean, I had patients coming to see me for their prolotherapy treatments and they were like, oh yeah, uh, two months ago I had it and, you know, it was all right. And they wouldn't even tell me about it. So those were people even that I didn't have the opportunity to help that were moving through that infection. Well, we should back up and say that as naturopathic physicians, I first want to publicly say that I am severely disappointed in our profession and how they responded to this across the entire North America. Um, It wasn't any one particular doctor's fault, but the way that we responded was, and I get it, we were silenced. We, uh, in many cases, in many states directly, like in my state, the Department of Justice and the FTC came in and said, not a peep. Mm -hmm. We know how to treat viruses. Like you mentioned, you were treating, uh, you know, quote unquote, long haulers or post viral syndrome long before this ever happened. And I personally have suffered from it. That is why I went to naturopathic school (laughs) to become a naturopathic (laughs) doctor was to learn more about how to treat this. We know how to treat acute viruses. We know how to treat chronic sequelae from viruses. And we utilize nutraceuticals. We utilize lifestyle and we utilize IV therapy and all of those things you had to your avail in your Mm -hmm. practice. The The thing that gets me is none of this is or was at the time prevention, treatment, or cure, it's, I shouldn't say we know how to treat viruses. We know how to treat people who have viruses. Right. That's a better mm-hmm. way to put it, right? And as a naturopathic doctor, that's what we do. We treat a person, not a condition. And when you have somebody present to you with an acute viral infection and they're really, really sick, it's their immune system that's killing them. It's not the virus. And so how do we treat that, right? And so you were employing those things, which we knew as tried and true therapeutics for a person who is rocking a virus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's a good way to put it. I always think of it as helping the person move through the infection instead of like killing the infection because th- those are different. <laughs> Very yeah. different. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's a paradigm that allopathic medicine and the world at large can't seem to get their head around. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's confused me how many doctors in our profession have responded. It's it makes I'm, you know, I have those moments where I'm like, didn't we go to the same school and take the same courses? But their their response has been uh, so conventional that it's almost like this uh, taking on this helplessness, you know, and, and we're not helpless. We have tools to help people with this. Absolutely. So you were utilizing those tools. Mm-hmm. You were helping patients. You're in a state where you legally could. Everything's yep. fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's kosher there. And what were you finding? You were able to help people who were maybe acutely ill and to avoid having to go to hospital, avoid progressing into severe uh, respiratory issues. How did, how did that all go down? Yeah. I mean, usually, yeah. So I will say early on, um, my patient caseload was limited. And then for about the past five months, I saw this huge up, uptick with Delta. Um, and that's where the bulk of of my patient load had had come from. And now <laughs> with Omicron, it's like it went up and then it's like it went up again. And now like everyone has it. But, um, you know, with Delta, I really, okay, so one thing I was able to utilize because I know we can't talk about this stuff on social media platforms, but I can email my patients and I can talk to my patients one-on-one. So very early on, I was talking to people about, exercise, I was talking to people about diet, you know, to my patients through my email list. And I was also stressing the importance to them of jumping on this infection early, if or as early as possible. Um, and I think that's one of the key reasons that I've been successful treating my patients, because I'm usually getting to them within the first three days of their infection. And I'd say a lot of times at the latest, it's five days, which is pretty early. So you were providing excellent education through your emails mm-hmm. as things were unfolding and what people could do to besides just sit around and wait for it to get bad enough to go to the hospital, which is the most lackluster and disappointing response to a pandemic or, I mean, I've never lived through a pandemic, but to any kind of global illness I've ever seen is <laughs> the like, wait, this, wait right. till you can't... 
wait till you're dying and then go to the hospital and see if they can revive you kind of I mean, that's been literally our approach in the United States and many other countries like what is that is anyway, we could go on about that. (laughs) Right. At this point, I just think if you're practitioner, I don't know, for me, I'm like, if your practitioner is still telling you that, like, really, maybe maybe move on to somebody who will fight for you. Because I feel like at this point, I know everyone's tired. And I know everyone's worn out. And I am too. But you know, I'm still going to fight for my patients and really keep doing the research so I know how to treat them. Yes. So tell me about Delta. Delta came around. You definitely were seeing more inpatient uh, or in office. You were treating people. You were utilizing early therapy, I know. Mm-hmm. Things like, we can talk about them here. Ivermectin. I don't know what it, what other drugs. You, I know. Isn't it liberating? It's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> talk all, that's what I'm saying. Talk all you want. So what were you, how were you seeing things? What were you doing? So a lot of, okay, so a lot of my patients um, consulted with me before they were sick. So they had a plan in place. And I actually think that's really important that you have your COVID kit together. Um, I have mine at home. Uh, and I was using an AM, um, yes, ivermectin, um, lots of nutrients, you know, vitamin, and the, you know, the standard ones, vitamin C, vitamin D, um, zinc, quercetin, turmeric. What else am I using? I, I use melatonin for them. Um, I kind of, and I'm not shy about piling it on. I am not usually that doctor who wants to hand you a a grocery bag full of supplements, but what, I was not messing around with this. You know, I wanted people on early and aggressive treatments. Um, if I could find monoclonal antibodies, I was getting the you know getting patients set up with that. It was extremely hard to find monoclonal antibodies in Flagstaff until probably a month ago, and at this point. Omicron's so mild, I'm like, well, okay, I'm glad we have them and I'm still ordering them for patients, but I don't understand why they were so hard to find beforehand. Yeah, they weren't easy to find around here either. Although, Mm -hmm. you know, I made a post about it and somebody local said that a nurse who's local to my area said she had no problem getting it for her patients. But when I was in the throes of it and my fiance at the time was going down, I was desperately trying to find them. And I was, maybe it's because I had COVID brain, but I was having a tough time sourcing that. I couldn't, I called pharmacies, I called clinics, I couldn't get anyone to give me a straight answer as the referring physician. Right. So I I couldn't imagine what the poor general public would be going through. I called the company who administers them and then, and they told me to call my hospital's emergency department. And the charge nurse in the ED that I talked to didn't even know what monoclonal antibodies were, which was terrifying because those are the folks that are, you know, our, our, our frontline workers. And and she didn't even know what they were. So I don't I don't know what happened there, but I'm grateful we have them now. And I'm also grateful that we don't need them as much now or seemingly. Um, another thing I was doing for my patients too, we have a great um, service in town, a mobile nurse who will come to people's houses and provide IV therapy for them, even when they're sick with COVID and getting in the hydration and the nutrients on board um, in, you know, IV was huge because especially with Delta, I was seeing a ton of diarrhea. So people just weren't, you know, the transit time was so fast that you start to wonder if the supplements you've prescribed for someone are, are getting absorbed. But with the IV nutrients, you know, they are. Yes, yes, we were. We were rocking the IVs in this house. Mm -hmm. Ryan, I don't think Ryan has any clue how lucky he is that I'm his... (laughs) person. Yeah. I was like, dude, dude, you don't know what I can do. Right, right. He had no idea. We do magic, essentially. (laughs) If we have the skills, right? Right. You and I trained in those skills. Not Mm -hmm. everybody does. Not every doctor does. Not certainly not every naturopathic doctor does. And we definitely I mean, I made sure to make I made sure to make sure that I was going to be handy in a zombie apocalypse. Right. As long as I had supplies. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about monoclonal antibodies a minute. I just did a podcast on this. Turns out the data is showing that they're not really that effective against Omicron anyway at this point. So yeah. just a note for the listeners to to note. Um, all right. So I remember Delta came along and the vaccines came along. And that's when you and I really started talking about this and, and you were sharing some insight. What did you tell me about that experience that you saw with your patients moving through the whole vaccine rollout and on? Yeah. So there's kind of two pieces to this. There's the the reactions to vaccination that I was seeing that I want to talk about. And then there's the piece of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated person moving through the infection. So, I mean, when 
everyone started <laughs> started getting vaccinated. Um, in Flagstaff, the one that was most available was Moderna, and I, it probably still is. Um, but I was seeing, I would estimate a 40% uh, adverse reaction rate. And I, I'm not talking about the chills and fever that you get for 48 hours afterwards. I'm talking about longer term stuff than that. Um, you know, what I was seeing was um, women with disrupted periods, either menstruating very frequently, very heavily, you know, um, very painfully, and sometimes sometimes all of them all together. Um, yeah, I was seeing elevation. So one thing that I started doing for my COVID patients post-infection and for my post-vaccine patients was running some labs because, you know, you look at the data on the vaccines and you're like, oh God, what's that going to do for their clotting markers? You know, I'm seeing elevated clotting markers like D-dimer and, you know, I'm seeing elevated fibrinogen and SED rate and CRP post-vaccine. Um, not that I don't see that post-COVID, but I just thought that was pretty notable. And I, you know, I wanted to help people move through those kind of physiological reactions too, because I don't want my patients stroking out or having heart attacks. Can you talk about what those labs are a little bit so the audience understands better what, what those are mm -hmm. looking for? Yeah. So, you know, there are the labs that I run um, are to, to look at a person's um, inflammation over, you know, overall. So, you know, your SED rate and your CRP are labs that are going to look at inflammation. And I look at some other ones as well. Um, and then, you know, your other markers like D-dimer are markers that are elevated when somebody has a blood clot. So I was seeing elevations that were double the upper end of the normal reference range. And that, wow. Mm -hmm. And you, you had, maybe not the D-dimer, but you had, we all, every naturopathic doctor runs SED rate and C-reactive protein yeah, for, for sure. inflammation. So you had the pre-labs. You, mm -hmm. you knew what these people's labs looked like before they got the vaccine. Yeah. And yeah. you were seeing changes there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And increased inflammation. I've heard this from a lot of doctors. So I want to just share with the audience, this is not unique. This is something I've been hearing across the board. And we know this to be true in many cases. Yeah. And, you know, that's the kind of information that I, you know, that's very heavily suppressed and that, you know, could potentially be saving saving lives. You know, get your labs checked after your vaccine. At least acknowledging that there are side effects helps us avoid, you know, helps us avoid those those adverse effects if we can. Absolutely. You also, I remember talking to you and you telling me that you were seeing patients who you had gotten their autoimmune disease because you did deal in chronic care forever and that you were getting their, you know, you'd get these patients autoimmune disease and remission, you'd get their rheumatoid arthritis or their psoriatic arthritis or their skin conditions all contained. And these people were walking through this healthy. And then the vaccine was administered and you were seeing these autoimmune diseases erupt again. Is yeah. that? Yeah, that was, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because you, you know, you and your patient work really, really hard to get the immune system back in some kind of balance and to get their their symptoms to back off. And then they get uh, then they get the vaccine and they don't even know that this is a side effect. And then it's just like a volcano erupts. And yeah, and I saw a lot of yeah reemerging or reactivated autoimmunity, you know, some MS flares and things like that. And I also saw reactivation of chronic infections like like Epstein-Barr virus. And that that's another thing that, you know, we don't conventionally, you know, they don't recognize a lot of these long term viral infections, but it's just as much work to get those in control as it is to get an immune autoimmune condition in control and to see that blow up in our faces is just frustrating. <laughs> It's so frustrating. You are, again, not the first doctor to share this with me. I've spoken to so many in, in mm -hmm. our functional medicine naturopathic space who really do specialize in these chronic infections, Lyme disease, co-infections with Lyme, um, I, my, you know, severe mitochondrial dysfunction due mm -hmm. to all of the above. Also, a lot of reports of from my colleagues, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you saw this too, of emergence of new autoimmune conditions that weren't prior... Yes previously there that or maybe they hadn't shown themselves strongly enough and boom suddenly here we are yeah yeah and I know this doesn't technically fall under the autoimmune category but I had a young man who mm, he was like 19 at the time he got vaccinated you know athletic kid um 
you know, generally healthy. I didn't have labs on him pre because we, I think I just did prolotherapy for him before. But anyways, he got vaccinated and boom, dysautonomia, you know, which is a gnarly health condition to deal with. Like he can't stand up without his heart rate, you know, going up by 30 or 40 beats per minute. So, you know, being active isn't something he can really do now. So we worked for months to get his symptoms to back off. And they did to a I'd say like maybe 70% better. And then he came in for an IV one day and he said, yeah, all my symptoms came back. And I was like, oh no, what happened? He goes, well, I think it might've been related to my booster. And I was just like, oh no. And he didn't, yeah, he didn't talk to me about it. Otherwise it, I would have probably advised for him to really think about that before he got that second shot. But the thing that's wild to me is there is a segment of my patient population who uh, they just won't see the connection between what's, you know, their new health condition or the reemergence of it and getting vaccinated. But it's so clear. It's the denial's deep. Yeah. The notable thing and one of the main reasons, well, I love you and I love talking with you, so I wanted to have you on. <laughs> but the reason this is important for the audience and the listeners is, again, Dr. Belt works in a small town. Mm-hmm. In Flagstaff. So we're hearing in a, in a, you're a busy practice, but you're not seeing like, you know, you're not, you're not a, a, a primary care doc that's seeing a hundred patients a day. I mean, so the fact that you're seeing this many situations, we, we can call them, whether they're small or large is irrelevant. Uh, I mean, like the severity of it is irrelevant. The fact that you're seeing this many is notable because yeah. you're in a, a small, busy, but not like, you know, you're, you're little, I don't want to say boutique. I know you're a busy doc, but it's not like you're seeing like mass volumes rolling through your clinic. And so the fact that there's the numbers are this high is concerning. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's talk about anything else from that period that from, you want to mention. So that's when I did first start to notice that, okay, so when Delta kind of really got full swing and I started getting pretty busy with COVID patients, um, is when I really started seeing a very high proportion of breakthrough infections. Um, so for the past five, five-ish months, probably, I think I'd put my breakthrough, I'd put my caseload at 70 to 80% breakthrough. And wow. then what I started noticing was that it didn't matter so much if the person had had shots or not when they got, when they got COVID. It, their their health going into the infection mattered a lot more. Yes, which I you mean, and I beat that yeah. drum. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we are very similar. You guys have to follow Dr. Belt on Instagram. It's uh, Dr. Belt Sander. That is your roller derby name. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a minute. But we say a lot of the same things. Going, you know, I, I always like to say like how you how you walk into this infectious process will completely dictate how you proceed through it and then what happens to you after in, yeah. in the long haulers part. So high breakthrough rate and also more difficulty with the virus regardless of vaccination status if they were unhealthy. Absolutely, yeah. You guys, I've got two new products for you inside the Dr. Tina store that have just launched. The first one's called GI Rebuild. It is a light chai flavor. It mixes into any liquid deliciously, and it is a selection of nutrients that are specifically targeting the GI mucosa and healing the inner gut layer. So for all of us walking around with leaky gut, this is a great solution to help repair that. The second product is called Daily Collagen. Now this also helps with GI repair, but the most important function I believe with taking a daily collagen supplement, it's just keeping my joints juicy. You know, it's amazing how getting into middle age and on can make you feel like a creaky door. So collagen is a staple in my daily routine. This has a mocha latte flavor. I love it. It mixes into any liquid very easily. My favorite is to put a big scoop in my coffee in the morning. It's delicious. It goes down easy. It absorbs very well. You can find both right now inside the Dr. Tina store at store.drtina.com. I'll put the link in the show notes for you. And if you use the code collagen10, that'll give you 10% off my entire store right now. So head over there and grab a jug of daily collagen and GI rebuild. Okay, how to be fair, how about all of these things we mentioned with the vaccine such as because I think a lot of that has to do with the spike protein. Uh, Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So to be fair, 
what were you seeing post uh, infection in non-vaccinated people? Like someone like me, how, you know, cause I've had some, I'm so used to long haulers though. Mm-hmm. Like I've lived with it and I've, I've had so many gnarly viral infections that really hit me hard that I just, I know that there's like a few months that it's going to take me to get back on my, my A game. And I'm totally fine with that. I know how to yeah. get back to it. But for those who don't, it can be pretty scary. And I can imagine that there has been some probably inflammation that's been lingering and some autoimmune conditions as well from the virus. Have you seen that? Sure. Yeah. That's a good point because what I see post vaccine labs and what I see post-COVID labs aren't that dissimilar. You know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Okay. And how long does that last? Is there, have you, Mm. have you noted that at all? So if it's a, for a reactivation of a chronic infection, we can generally get, get that under wraps in 90 days. I'd say, depending on the person, you know, 90 days, maybe just two months. Um, Yeah. The, the menstrual stuff, I don't know. I have people who who well this is this is more specifically post vaccine. I don't see the the female like menstrual cycle being disrupted so much with COVID itself. That I'm still working with like a year later with some of my patients. Um but a a lot of the autoimmune stuff, the reactivated chronic infections, we can usually reel that back in in ninety days. Okay. And that's Vaccine induced or virus induced? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that's good to hear. So, playing devil's advocate here mm-hmm. because someone's going to say this or bring this totally. up and say, well, <laughs> so then they should just go ahead and get vaccinated because it, you know, why take their chances with a scary virus? And we do know the vaccine is showing. I mean, not so much with Omicron, but it it, it was showing with Delta and, and Alpha variant to reduce severity of illness and potentially hospitalization mm-hmm. and, and even death. That's true. Uh, what would you say to that person? Would, is that fair to compare or is that apples to oranges? Mm. Comparing getting vaccinated to getting the infection or? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I say, let, let's just let the virus. Yeah. For me, I was like, the decision personally was to let the virus roll. But others would say I'd rather get vaccinated. Sure. You know, some and that's, would say that. if that's their jam, they can go do that. That's cool. Um but I think what what I've said from the beginning, because of my my history and practice, is I know how to deal with a virus. Like a virus for me is a known quantity. Yes, this one's new and it's got its little tweaky things that we have to figure out, but it's still a virus. With the vaccines, you know, I said what I was telling my patients, you know, is and we would have conversations. I don't really advise them either way because I want them to make up their own minds, but I would tell them, you know, once you push that button, I don't know how to unpush it. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to undo the the damage that, you know, this experimental therapy can cause because we just don't know that much about it. And I've been dealing with viruses for, you know, well over a decade. So for me, dealing with the known quantity as a physician is preferable to dealing with this nebulous thing that we won't know the end game to it for 10 years or five years or whatever. Because it's gene therapy. <laughs> it is. That's it. That's what I tell people. If you push the gene therapy button, I don't know how to unpush it. I forget yeah. I can say things on here. <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you want on here. Yeah. Well, and I say that because if I don't know if it's still there, but when this all rolled out, I went to the Moderna website and it said it was gene therapy. Right. I mean, those mm-hmm. words were on the website. I don't know if I took a screenshot or not, but I mean, it was this is this is mRNA gene therapy. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the doctor who invented it, Robert Malone, has been completely uh, discredited across the world, but this is what it is. <laughs> I mean, what does so, that guy know anyways? You know. No, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> what do we know? We're just stupid nature paths. Right. Oh, boy. <sighs> That's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, so here's, here's my argument. This is something I've been thinking about. So we had a study come out at the end of December of 2021, and it was it's still in preprint. I don't know if it ever got published, but it the title is no significant di- no significant difference in viral load between vaccinated and unvaccinated asymptomatic and symptomatic groups infected with SARS-CoV-2 Delta variant. And it goes on to say and this is this is my beef with the argument about mandates. This is my problem with it. The whole premise of the mandates at this point is hanging on by a thread because mm-hmm. It does not stop transmission. 
The vaccine does not, we have the papers. This is not, this is one of several that has shared this information. It's on the CDC's, it was on the CDC's website back in September of 2021. Although many in our profession want to keep denying that that actual website exists. Although it's in my, uh, it's in a prior episode of my podcast, you guys, you guys can check the show notes for that and uh, share your name and email with me and I'll send you all the studies if you find the right uh, episode. Anyway, the premise, the whole argument of this mandate at this point, the only thread they're hanging on is that if somebody is vaccinated, they should potentially, the keyword here is potentially, have a lower viral titer. The reason that that's important is because that lower viral titer would it, to some degree reduce transmission because they would and the studies are showing this, They that, that viral titer, even in this paper, dropped off faster in vaccinated people, which theoretically should reduce transmission. It should make them less infectious in a shorter amount of time, right? That's the whole, that's the only thread I can think of logically that this mandate is hanging on by. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's all based on viral titers at this point, because mm-hmm. vi- viral titers matter, as we've said from the beginning. So if you're vaccinated, you at one point will have just as much of a viral titer potentially with Delta as a non-vaccinated person. But according to the literature, it should drop off faster, which should make you less infectious and should uh, make you infectious for a shorter period of time. Okay, great. That's the theory. That's what this whole mandate thing, that's the only thing they got. Right. (laughs) So far as science goes. My argument is we have the data clearly showing in obese and inflamed Mm -hmm. and frail and malnourished people that the virus not only they not only do they have higher viral titers, they have them for a much longer period of time, up to 40 some percent when looking at the influenza virus in these 2019 studies. But we also have them in COVID now in, in SARS-CoV-2. We have these studies. I've done an episode on it. All the studies are there if people want to go look. That would assume uh, that these people have are far more infectious and carry a higher viral titer for a longer period of time. So they are more infectious humans mm-hmm. than someone who's healthy and fit and not malnourished, right? Does right. this logically make sense? This is my mm-hmm. hypothesis. We also have data in animals showing that healthy uh, nutrient replete animals do not carry as much viral titer. Mm-hmm. That's known in animal health and in, in animal, like when you look at people who run like barns of animals, they know that the healthy animals are going to be less infectious than the sickly animals when the virus comes. So all of this said, how on earth are they making an argument to mandate vaccines that may potentially theoretically lower viral titers for a like a minutia amount of time in patients when we know for a fact that healthy, fit, exercised, nourished people are not infectious. Right. I mean, I shouldn't say not completely. Yes, we have some propensity for being infectious, but generally speaking, our viral titers are going to be way, way, way lower. But yet we're the villains in society. That's that's wild. I, you know, when you were telling, when you were saying that about the vaccinated people having lower viral titers, I was like, but what about the vaccinated people who, first of all, didn't seroconvert very well because of their health status? And they care, like they like you're saying, they carry higher viral titers for longer. I, yeah, mandates yeah. make no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, because they're using a narrative to justify the mandates that I could flip the, the script on very mm-hmm. easily and say, let's, you know, let's take it one step fur- further. So Therefore, we could conclude logically that a healthy, fit, well-nourished human being is not really a threat to society whatsoever. Right. Right. So why are we why are we locking up the wrong people? Yeah. That's that's that, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I figured you'd get that argument. Yeah, I, and I, we we've just got so much evidence, and I've had he- other healthcare pro- providers like laugh and sneer at me, as I'm sure you have too for bringing those things up. Like, well, what about your, you know, how are you taking care of your obese patients? You know, they do carry higher viral titers for longer. And I get that. Where did you hear that? I'm like, well, PubMed. Oh my God. I mean, I can show you like 12 studies, but okay. (laughs) Send them to the episode in my podcast where all the studies are. I have them all and they're all over my Instagram and they've been there since the beginning, but let's just turn a blind eye. I would say because 
And dare I throw anyone in our profession under the bus, but we're not the healthiest looking group for mm-hmm. being naturopathic physicians. Like you and I are one of the few who, I mean, there's probably a couple dozen of us in the whole profession that actually lift weights <laughs> and follow the, like walk the talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of super healthy ones. If they, you know, I remember in school that there were a lot who did double down on dietary issue on, you know, they would take s- strong dietary measures, but I didn't see a lot of exercise mm-hmm. happening. No, and I think that's true of the medical profession as a whole. It's not, I don't even think it's yeah. specific to us. Yeah. 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 I've, and I think the medical profession as a whole probably eats a whole lot worse than the naturopathic doctors do. I would agree with that. Yeah. At least you were in Arizona. You guys had, you guys just tend to be a healthier, fitter bunch in general because you live in the sun. I was going to school in Oregon mm-hmm. and looking at the, you know, Bastyr was known to be the vegetarian vegan school. So they oh, were wow. even, they were even like, less fit looking than the Oregon docs. But in general, I, it's not, it's very, let's just put it this way. It's very different when I go to conferences in different areas of naturopathic conferences, like how the doctors in general (laughs) look, it's Mm -hmm. shockingly different in Arizona. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. So uh, since we're on the topic of either the vaccine or the virus potentiating some concern for people. What have you seen with women, say my age, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're, I think we're similar age, close. This definitely exacerbated any perimenopausal problems I was having. And I'm about, well, it was the beginning of November. So I'm two months out, two and a half months out. And I'm, I just started my cycle the other day, very normal, but it was screwed up for the past two months, two and a half months. I was a little off. So have you been seeing that? And have you seen that uh, correlate with hair loss and some of the other things that we see come with menopause? I feel like COVID sort of slamming these women on the edge into mm-hmm. menopause, especially if they're unhealthy and inflamed. It's like they literally go through menopause whilst having COVID, it almost seems like, oh, wow. from what I've been hearing from people. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you seeing on that front? I haven't seen that, get you know, the vaccine or the getting the disease itself. I haven't seen it throwing anyone into menopause, but I would agree that um, it's hitting perimenopausal women harder. You know, those are the women I'm seeing, you know, we had their cycles on a good roll and now they're bleeding twice a month or now they're bleeding heavily. I also see a lot more perimenopausal women than I do and menopausal women than I do, you know, a woman who's 23 and, you know, younger, but in those younger women that I do see, I have seen some of those disturbances too. Yeah. I'm looking for literature on it. I found a little bit. I think mm-hmm. they're starting to finally, but you know, nobody wants to do studies on like middle-aged women. Who cares? I know. We're, we're like the, dis, we're like the, I mean, when you're a woman and you turn middle-aged, you disappear into it's, the abyss yeah. of society. So no one runs studies on you because nobody, there's no money in it. I who know. cares? Sometimes I enjoy the invisibility though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, in the marketing world, it's middle aged women who actually buy stuff online. They're mm-hmm. the most proactive, they're the most apt to go do research and take things on. I mean, they're also the most common to whine about things, I will say they, there's a lot of whining going on, but they do tend to take action when they decide to. And they generally have that advantage of being in that age group where they finally got some money under themselves and you know, the mm-hmm. time and the energy. And so you'd think that big pharma would figure out how to market to them. But Yet, no, we're still, yeah. we're st- you still can't even, I mean, they still won't even acknowledge testosterone deficiency in a woman. It's still not even a diagnostic code, but. Right, that's wild. <laughs> I want to know what the diagnostic code is for severe overblown fear of a mutated virus that's turned into the common cold. cold. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, I don't mean to be flippant. I just, I'm, I can't help. I even found a study out of South Africa this morning showing that I mean, we know that it's the studies coming out showing are showing that it's far far less virulent. Oh, yeah. But this study even showed that it's not nearly as infectious as they're saying it is. Really? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not because it seems like our whole church to this morning we got the call. We couldn't go to church because everybody's Every, sick. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a huge portion of them are vaccinated because they're quite an elderly group, and so everyone's sure. homesick. I'm sure it's Omicron ripping through. I think we're going to see this. We should timestamp this. What what's the date today? The 16th, 16th? of January. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see a significant drop off here any day now. Like I think Omicron has to run its peak. I mean, we are a different population than South Africa, but I think it's probably going to, we're going to see this drop down pretty quickly. And if we don't, we should start being suspect of things, Mm -hmm. I I believe. But um, yeah, interesting. I'm going to read it. I'll send it to you and I'll provide it in the show notes for people because it's showing that it's not even as infectious as they claim. So here we have a gentler, kinder kitten, supposedly via the studies. What are you seeing in clinical practice? Oh my gosh. So- the shift from Delta 
to Omicron has been just, it's a remarkable shift. It's like, <clears throat> because if you're, if you're seeing patients through that transition, it's, it's so different that I can, I mean, I don't know, I'm not doing DNA sequencing, but I'm pretty sure I can tell exactly what strain they have by their symptoms. You know, and with Delta, you know, they'd get the fever. A lot of times they'd lose their taste and smell. They would get this band around their chest kind of feeling of tightness and they'd cough and, you know, they would feel, they'd feel terrible. Um, and, and that usually it would last seven to 10 days. Um, some of my less healthy patients, 14, you know, maybe a little bit longer, but, um, with Omicron, it's like people aren't spiking a fever. They aren't, a lot of my patients aren't even coughing. I mean, it, it really seems to be like, um, a lot more sinus, you know, sinus congestion and things like that. Um, barely any bronchial symptoms. Yeah. And they're maintaining their taste and smell. They're maintaining their appetite. They're able to work out while they're sick. It's, I mean, and I'm not going to lie. There are people who still have gnarly fatigue and still have body aches and that stinks, but it's not, you know, it's not to the point where their oxygen's dropping into the eighties now. It's, yeah. It looks like a completely different virus. It's kind of wild. And it's a huge relief on my end as a practitioner because I don't have to. Okay. I am a smaller, I have a smaller office office, and I know my patients very well. I've been seeing a lot of them for over 10, you know, over 10 years. So I don't have to worry about them and call them twice a day and things like that. I can kind of say, okay, give us a call in three days. Let us know how you're feeling. If you need anything sooner, just reach out. Huge difference. Yeah, night and day, it sounds like. Oh and I'm hearing gosh. this from from everyone. It was so interesting, because I think I got Delta towards the end of its, yeah. of its, of its, uh, you know, fame, and I got hit hard. But it was like five or six days, I would say of feeling gnarly. And it did, it felt like I had a corset right underneath my yeah. breast, just it, yeah. that was one of the first symptoms. And I was like, Oh, this is really uncomfortable. I can't breathe. So uh, as I was recovering from it, I should have been resting for the next seven days after those five or six days. And that's when my husband went down hard. And so I had to like play super doctor. And he really, I mean, I think I kept him out of the hospital. And it was through things that people, most people can't get at home, like right. me administering IVs all the time and, you know, et cetera. And we had all the early treatment uh, pharmaceuticals on board as well. But just at that time... Right after it happened, I get a message from a friend in the UK and he's like, I just had COVID. It was totally mild. Like I took mm -hmm. some NyQuil and I was over it. <laughs> and I was like, no way. Like how, how did you just skate through that? Because I mean, he's, he's a healthy dude, but I wouldn't say like, you know, he's not like Mike Mutzel metabolically sound. And so mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden, I hear I, and this is coming from across the world. I'm hearing people message me saying, "Yeah, I just had it. it was not a big deal." And I was, and that's when we hear about Omicron. Yeah. And that's when, and you know, it takes a, a minute for it to get here and do its thing. So we're that those were early reports out of that part of the world. And then, literally right after, a couple friends here said, "Oh yeah, I just I have COVID. It's not it's not nearly the big deal that you said it was." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Dude, you got a different strain, I think." Because <laughs> I got hit with the big boogeyman and you guys are getting like the, the nice version. Although I will say, and this is something I want to speak, see if you could speak to, uh, at that same time, my friends who were vaccinated got really sick. Mm -hmm. So for a minute there, what I was seeing was my unvaccinated friends get Omicron and breeze through it. Like you just said, it was a cold. And then I was seeing all, and maybe this is just empirical because this is just what I saw, right? This is just my small little circle, my little bubble. But all of my vaccinated friends were getting their asses handed to them. Pretty, pretty bad, like needing to go on steroids and getting the ivermectin and the, all the fluvoxamine and all those things. What have you seen with that? Have you seen people getting hit harder with Omicron who've been vaccinated than the non-vaccinated? You know, I keep, I keep watching for that because I, like, I understand all of the, you know, all of the, the theories behind why that could happen. I'm not seeing it yet though. Um, oh, good. Yeah. So that is good. I just, I'm, I'm really relieved to see that. So but, good. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's just something I've been seeing. That's that makes me happy because I've I talked about it to my me private membership Resiliency University group a little bit, and I was hoping that that was just exclusive to what I was seeing, and and it turns out it was. Okay, 
what else? What else do we want to talk about here that we make sure we cover? Because I know we had a whole little discussion Let's prior see. to this. We were excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, what else did we want to? What else did we want to talk about? Um, boy. Oh, I do want to say that I don't want to sound braggy, but I want to. I kind of want to give people hope. So I've been treating COVID this whole time, and I haven't kept count of cases. And I work. I probably work like between 60 and 80 hours a week. So I'm not going to go back and count. I don't know how many cases I have treated, but I have had two people go to the hospital. That's it. Um, nice. I'm going to knock wood or something. And I haven't had anyone die from it. Um, and I think in one person who went to the hospital, I her labs going into it, Every year, all of her inflammatory markers are high, and every year we talk about how to bring them down, and every year she doesn't do it. So I knew if she got hit that it was going to go bad for her, and it did. Um, the other one I couldn't figure out, but he is a you know a middle-aged male with that truncal obesity, and then I talked to him later, and he had had some pretty um, severe lung issues as a child. So, uh. but I And then I think about that, and I juxtapose that against I have had four people go to the hospital with um, post-vaccine stuff, most of it, two strokes, two, um, two to rule out a heart attack. And so I think, you know, the fact that we can move people through this infection, especially now that it's Omicron, I just, I want us to be able to have a, dis- a really honest discussion, to be able to have this discussion publicly without being censored of the pros and the cons of this, of the vaccination, because I'm not necessarily for it or against it. I just want every person to be able to weigh their own risks and benefits and make the smartest choice for them. Right. Because there is therapy. If people could only access it, there is ways to keep, that's, that was my whole point about bringing you on is like, we as naturopathic doctors know how to deal with viruses. This has been the most infuriating, ridiculous two years of my life. And to see our profession bow down to it has been even more infuriating because I don't understand. We have the tools to help patients. If they would stop censoring us, we could talk about it and share Mm -hmm. this with other doctors. The information's out there. This isn't like we're holding, we're not, we're no No. longer holding any secrets. Anybody just needs with half a brain. I think a lot of people are just intellectually lazy and don't want to spend the time to go actually look this up, but it's not complicated. I know you've provided resources. I provided countless resources over the last two years. People merely need to learn how to use a search engine and go look up the FLCCC protocols Mm -hmm. and look up. Uh, you know, America's frontline doctors and, and just listen to some podcasts and, and get their learn on because this is, yeah, this has gone way, way, way too far. I, I, I am not anti-vax. I am, I, and I've said this so many times, I, whatever somebody wants to do, I don't care, but to live in fear, this, this narrative, I'm sure you got this. When I got COVID, people were like, you didn't end up in the hospital and you didn't die. And I was like, what? Where does that not? Because I don't watch the news. I'm like, where does that bullshit come from? Right. And then the other the other narrative was people were pissed I got it in the first place. And I'm like, you too will get it. <laughs> we're all going to get it. What are you talking about, people? <laughs> and on my post today, I'm talking, and it, this is so funny. I present data, studies that say like, inequivocally, the bulk of people who are getting the most sick have these things in common. Yeah. And then someone will be like, I don't believe that because I don't fit that. And then this happened to me or my boyfriend. And I'm like, I didn't say this was like 100%. Science is never right. set in stone. There's there's shades of gray. But generally speaking, to a high percentage, we know that if you have visceral fat, if you have inflammation, if you're obese, if you're malnourished, you're going to have, if you're frail, meaning low muscle mass, you're going to have a tough go at this. Yeah. Yeah. And I see it every day. Like, Yeah. My patient right now who's having probably the hardest time with Omicron, um, she's not, she's not in trouble respiratorily. Um, she's in, she's, and I don't think she's really in trouble overall, but she's, she's a morbidly obese person. And so she's just set up to be inflamed. Um, so I, that's why she's having, you know, more body aches and things like that and more migraines and stuff with her infection. But it, and it's, I know it's because, and she and I have talked about that. Like she, she knew going in. Yeah. 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 And I, I did a I did a podcast just a few weeks ago on eight different ways that obesity wrecks your immune mm-hmm. system, just so people could further understand this isn't a fat shaming thing. This isn't a finger pointing. This is just 
basic science. Like this yeah. is how adipose cells work and this is what they do to your body when they're inflamed. And yeah, that was a great this- episode. <clears throat> oh, thank you. I'm yeah. glad you listened to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know when people listen to these things. I, <laughs> I just, I just assumed to put it out there. I'm trying to get all the big questions answered for people. And that was mm-hmm. one of the hopes with this episode was I really yeah. wanted like a doctor with boots on the ground who's been treating it, who's you, you are not a hippy dippy out there naturopath. You're one of the most grounded naturopaths I know you really embrace out the best of allopathic and the best Mm -hmm. of naturopathic medicine and combine them and there's really not a big difference except for approach right you take the data and you proceed with it and you you treat um you treat aggressively but you're not I mean I look at some of these frontline doctor have you looked at the frontline doctor protocols have you had any patients with that they get I mean, it's like an arsenal of anti-inflammatories, yeah. really, at the at the core of it is like, here's all the steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which can tank your immune system. There's an art to that, right? You don't want to hit them too early because you'll tank their immune system. But I think that you're really metered in the way that you approach things. And that's why I appreciate you coming on and talking about this because people need to hear it from somebody who's just you, – you, like me – are very much in the middle of trying to be level-headed mm-hmm. with this. And it's just like, it, and, you know, I think Dr. Paul Anderson is another great resource for he information is. about this because he's very metered as well. And he's seeing patients in real time with it as well. And it, uh, people can go listen to his podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a great resource. But I think that, pe- have you found this to be true as well, even with patients and the fear around it? People are so sensa- like so into being sensationalized so whether they're on our side or the other side, I hate to say sides, but wherever they live on this this you know rainbow of of fear or of whatever it is, they they love the quick sensationalism of it. And so even though they seem to be in lockstep with us as far as common sense, they still want that like wah, mm-hmm. you know, they want that big dopamine hit of getting their getting their fear on or getting that that button pushed, whatever it is. And so those are the ones that just are like, I'm shocked I even got infected. I know. I'm shocked you even you're so healthy. I'm shocked you got sick. And I'm like, dude, I'm a human being. And right. Don't, shit happens. Don't, don't <laughs> okay. we all get sick from time to time? I mean, yeah. No one's so immune. weird. It is weird. And for you, I feel like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like you didn't die. And you got sick and you, you know, it's like, you just can't win. <laughs> oh no, I, uh, they turned me into the villain early on and I will gladly take that roll and run with it because I don't, at this point, I don't care. It's yeah. funny. I, I just, every morning I wake up and I'm like on another episode of what Dr. Tina told the world two years ago <laughs> has come true. And I don't, I, I, I don't mean it like told you so. I don't mean it that way. Cause actually it just is crazy making. If I, I look at it and I'm like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Like did really, it took this long for you guys to come out and say this. I know, but there's a little bit of satisfaction in that I wasn't totally crazy, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm still the villain, especially oh, yeah. in our, I'm in, in our, I know that the Arizona docs aren't so hard on me, but the Pacific Northwest docs, I am their favorite person to hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It's been a fun game. Can I say something about long COVID? Oh, because yes, please. We skip that. People are freaking terrified of long COVID, right? Of being a long hauler or having post-viral syndrome. And there's a couple of points that I generally bring up to people when they're kind of coming to me with that fear. I tell them that I've treated long haulers of different varieties forever. <laughs> so so I got them, you know, because, yes, it's a little different with COVID, but um, but it's not that different. And so I tell them, I'm like, OK, if you get sick and you have long term symptoms, I, you know, I have answers for that. And there are things we can do. I think that you know, conventional medicine doesn't have a lot of answers for that. And I think, I think part of that, honestly, I don't want to like totally bash conventional medicine, but part of it is their own fault because they spent so much time gaslighting these folks with post-viral syndrome and chronic Lyme disease for so long that they, I mean, they didn't believe them and now they don't have any tools to help them now that it's COVID related. And that is, that's tragic. I mean, it's tragic for the people who have been gaslit for decades and it's tragic now. The other thing that I, I, I told a patient the other day and he kind of scoffed at me because he's sort of in healthcare. I told him that my patients don't get long haulers and they don't like, I'm totally going to jinx myself, but I'm not, (laughs) but my patients generally are healthier going into this and they get early treatment. And I really do believe that those are the things that prevent my people from getting long haulers. 
Absolutely. It's not like, it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not something that has to happen after you have COVID. No. And it's not a mystery. No. You're you're so right. How you go into it has everything to do. And how you go through it, I there was a dis, there were distinct phases happening in my body and happening in my husband's body, and they were different for each of us cuz he's a almost 50-year-old male. He is on testosterone therapy. Those with high androgens tend to have a harder time. This virus is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It takes the warriors right out. I mean, it's like you have a higher chance of dying if your testosterone's low, but if you have high testosterone, it lights you into a fire. Yeah, It's really, you know, it's a very interesting conundrum there. And so we had to mitigate that. And there were parts of the experience where it was very clear that I was no longer concerned about viral titers, I was concerned about inflammation and keeping that under control. And then there was the healing the inflammation piece and the damage that I knew was done because I felt it in my vessels. I could feel it. I mean, I I do a lot of inversions on this yoga hammock thing. And I went upside down. I was careful. Actually, the first week I didn't do any inversions because I'm like, I don't really need to concern myself with having a stroke because I just had COVID. And I know that my endothelium of my vessels is probably inflamed. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad has this little congenital thing that I was in his brain and I was like, I don't really need to risk that. But I did go down upside down after about a week and I got this tremendous head pain. And I was like, we're going to wait on that. And we're going to take more cardiovascular supportive nutrients. And we're going to, you know, tonify that system more. And so it's it's that kind of thinking that we do as naturopathic doctors where we understand, again, we're treating the person in front of us in real mm-hmm. time. And there was a moment there where my husband was struggling and his pulse ox was like in the low 80s. And I was too sick to be objective anymore. And I love him so much that I, I, I looked at him, you know, as a doctor, you ha- something I learned very early on from Dr. Dick Tom was you, when you walk into a room and you see a patient, you have to decide immediately, can I handle this or not? It's not like, oh, hey, what's going on? It's just when you, when you finally figure, you know, you quickly figure out what's going on, but you have to assess, can I handle this or not? If you can't get them out of there have somebody else help you, right? And I looked at him at one point when his pulse ox was in the toilet and he looked like a cadaver laying on the couch and he'd lost like quickly lost probably yeah. 20 pounds. I mean, he was down, he was skin and bones, pale, pale white. His whole body was pale white. And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this right now. Like I'm too sick. I'm shaking. I can't get an IV in you. And you're really sick. I think you might want to consider the hospital. And he was like, we are not going to the hospital. And we have our reasons. And I said, okay, fair enough. We made that pact. He's like, you better figure this out. (laughs) So so I did. But you know what I did is I stepped away from, I had all these people, brilliant doctors on speed dial. Everyone's giving me advice. I'm following protocols. I'm pumping him full of all the drugs. And I stepped back and I was like, you know what? Put your naturopathic hat on, Tina, and treat the human being in front of you. Like, let go of protocols, let go of drug dosages, let go of all of that and just treat the person in front of you. And I just took several deep breaths and went back over and sat next to him and held his pulse and assessed him the way that I do. I used my mojo, whatever it is, and I treated him naturopathically. Mm -hmm. And he turned around like that. I mean, it was just like the minute I decided to quit nailing him and like poisoning Mm -hmm. his body with high doses of drugs and everything because he I couldn't get his appetite back I couldn't things were decompensating yeah yeah. (laughs) you know so once I could get him back on like hey do you feel like eating do you you know I had Mm -hmm. to turn him around but it was really like that moment where I'm like I know how to do this I know how to treat the human being in front of me I'm not treating COVID I'm treating Ryan a person you know Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's the difference because with long COVID too, that's the same thing. It's like what system got hit hard here that's decompensating and how do we support that and bring them yeah. back to homeostasis? It's not mm-hmm. fucking rocket science. No. And that's totally, you say that. And I'm like, that's totally the gift that I have by being a, you know, by working in a smaller practice is I know my patients and I know exactly where their weak spots are. And if they pre-plan, we talk about it more. Like I confirm where, you know, when you get sick, where does it hit you? Does it hit your lungs? Does it hit your sinuses or whatever? Um, yeah, you have to look at that person. They're not a protocol. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's naturopathic medicine. That's why I think naturopathic medicine could save the world and could have saved the world during COVID, but we weren't allowed to speak and mm-hmm. too many of us were afraid to speak. And so yeah, I, I try to speak for all of us and that hence this platform. So I'm so glad you came on. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do we have anything else you want to touch on around this topic? I don't think so. Was there anything else that we were chatting about that you can think that we 
No, I think we got through my list, but okay. we we may have to have you come on for a part two if we sure. if I think of some more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me a little more time treating Omicron and yeah, or moving my patients through Omicron and and I'm waiting to see like how do my patients' labs look after they're infected with this variant? I haven't had anyone who's far enough out that I can really start collecting that information for myself. Yeah, for sure. We'll have you back and talk about it. Of note, and I said this on my last episode, there is a study that I have on the show notes of the last episode that shows that infection and and uh, recovery from Omicron actually inoculates you against Delta. Oh, so I saw that. we've heard Malone say this, we've heard a couple others, Omicron is literally a vaccine, if you want to look at it that way, mm-hmm. it it gives you the antibody response that you're going to need for the big bats. Yeah. And so I am excited. It's here, just like you said, right, I'm excited. I looked at my mom and I, I was like, good job. You, I mean, because my mom and dad haven't gotten knock on wood, they haven't gotten anything up until now. And I was like, go out in the world, go get it. Right. Like, yeah. go, go live your life because this is the time. This is the variant. I know. <laughs> is, and you know, what a, what a great step towards herd immunity. That's, you know, that's a kinder, kinder, gentler virus. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. I do find it comical that I keep seeing our colleagues who were so excited to flaunt their band-aids and their cards a year ago are now all flaunting their positive COVID tests oh, and their little naturopathic protocols that they're doing to get themselves over COVID. And I'm like, really? What is, what did Sarut <laughs> call that? Vulnerability porn? Is that what she called that? Oh, uh, yeah. That's kind of what that is. It's kind of funny. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, if you haven't heard the interview with uh, Sarut, it's it's a few episodes back. She's a psychologist, and it was brilliant. She's, she's great. She's so rad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's great. That was a great conversation with her, because she and I don't have the same exact opinion about everything, but it was so nice to have an educated, compassionate conversation with somebody who's not emotionally triggered about everything. Right. And just right. get to it, you know? So, and I have to say, I have had some of those conversations with some of our colleagues that you know, in their silence, I assumed their stance, and I was wrong. And so I I want to say that, you know, they just were in a position where they couldn't speak for potential loss of job or license or what have you. I get it. I I get that in my patients a lot, too. You know, um, people who are, um, you know, hesitant, you know, they call them vaccine hesitant or whatever. Um, And they're like, but everyone is and everyone thinks it's the right thing to do. And I'm just like, no, those are just the loud voices. Because, those of us who are in the middle trying to weigh out both quote unquote sides, which I think is a stupid artificial construct, but, um, and trying to kind of see, you know, see a clear path, there's more of us than, than you think. And I try to, I try to express that to my patients because my patients will tell me in the confidence of a visit, but they can't, can't say it in public. Yes, yes, true. So for the listeners out there, you are not alone. There are a lot of smart people. And I got to say, the smartest people I know, you and I know a lot of smarty pants. I have, I I really, uh, it's been such a gift in my life. And especially having gone into the online world and networking with some of the best minds in medicine and science from across several different disciplines. I know so many brilliant functional medicine doctors that I never would have been friends with because of turf wars prior, you know, but because of, because of networking opportunities, uh, just and health coaches and nutritional therapists and all different kinds of doctors that, and, and practitioners, it's been such a blessing and the smartest and the brightest of all of them they're all on our side. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. want to say side, but they all agree with what we're saying right, here. Right, right. They're for the path They're... of logic. <laughs> yes. And personal responsibility. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. It's a, they're tempered in their uh, beliefs about things. And when I run these ideas by them, they're like, yes, that is sound logic. Mm-hmm. So I just want to share that with the audience too, that I've got a great I got a whole group of people behind us that also mm-hmm. agree, but again, are in positions where they can't really speak out. So, yeah. 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 Well, where can everyone find you? Okay. Tell us the goods. So, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Belt Sander. And like you said, Belt Sander is my roller derby name because I play roller derby when I am allowed to do so. <laughs> Badass. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I have, you can also find um, my online company is Sage Serona. So Sage, like the plant, and Serona, S-I-R-O-N-A. So that you can find us on Instagram too. And that's my kind of online health platform. And we also focus on um, natural first aid kits. 
I love that. That yeah. I'm so excited for this. It's a brilliant idea and much needed in the world. So yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Well, I will have and then do you have a link that you want me to share on the show oh, notes with the audience? Yes, I will get that to you. For any I wanted to try to encourage people because I think we know that social media platforms can <laughs> can be retracted at any time you know, just getting good information out to people. So I'd love for you to put a link up and I'll, uh, for people who sign up, I've got a really awesome gift for them. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We want people on your email list. It's good information. You, you are a great sounding board. So, okay, cool. Well, Dr. Amber Belt, I love you. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been such an honor and pleasure. And we will, uh, we'll bring you back when we've got Omicron circulating. And I'm sure, by spring, we'll have a new variant, maybe the Galvatron or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What transformer can we name it after next? Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, you got to be old enough to get that joke. I know, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, lady. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.